Kelly, Ketepe here, Kwe, Ketehi Kwe, or as we sometimes say in English when we're not speaking Maori all the time, uh, how are you? Where are you? Ah, <laughs> uh, Ketepai, Baden, uh, and I'm here in Rakiura, uh, sometimes known as Stewart Island. This is the southernmost island in New Zealand, and after this, at this very point, we can cycle no further southwards, so it's only north after this. We're sitting in the only town on the island, Oban, and it is situated on Half Moon Bay. Uh, the sun is shining, which I'm told is quite a rare thing here on Stewart Island. Uh, so we're very lucky looking out at the boats moored uh, here in the bay, the oyster catchers that are hanging out in front of us, the little sand birds with big orange beaks. And yeah, just enjoying the sun and the quiet before things really ramp up tonight with the dance that's happening at the South Sea Hotel, which costs $30 to attend. I thought it was at the community centre. I have heard different information to you about that. Well, I'm sure if anyone gets lost, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's basically the community centre and the South Seas Hotel looks to be about 30 (laughs) metres. So I'm sure someone will be uh, directed in the right direction if they can't make it to the barn dance. Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. This is an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we ride from London to the Hutt Valley of New Zealand. So we flew from South America to Te Waipōnamu, which is the South Island of New Zealand, just a week ago, or just over a week ago. And it's been a bit of a shock. A lot has happened, and we'll try and give you a taste. In breaking news, we have touched back down in the homeland of Aotearoa. Feels really strange, but we're here at Auckland Airport and we're doing what I think is probably like the rite of passage for any Kiwi who's returning home after a long period of way. We call it the OE, the Overseas Experience for some reason. And I think that rite of passage is when you, uh, <laughs> you touch down at Auckland International and then you walk through to the um, domestic terminal. And it's quite a nice walk. Like, you wouldn't imagine it at the airport. You're walking past uh, Bahutakawa trees, which is, which is our national tree, and uh, you're hearing people talk in Kiwi accents. And then you have to remember, don't speak Spanish to people anymore because they don't really understand that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've made it. How does it feel, Shah? Oh, I'm so relieved to be here. And the customs guys were really cool, um, really trusting of us that we we did clean our stuff properly and. It's all been easy since we've landed in Auckland, so hopefully we'll be in Queenstown soon. It's been two and a half years since we stepped foot uh, in New Zealand and eight years since we actually lived here. Um, So coming back has been, yeah, a strange experience and we knew it would be. And riding along on the bike, we've done a little bit of riding now, I've the closest I could th- sort of think of as a, as a way to explain it was a, a kind of out-of-body experience. And what I mean by that is I imagine that if you were floating above your own body, you'd look down and you'd be like, hey, it's me. And then you'd think, wow, I look really different from this angle. And that's kind of how I feel about being back in New Zealand. I can tell that I sort of belong here. People sound a bit like me and there are lots of familiar things. But at the same time, it's, I feel like a visitor. So it's a, it's, a strange, it's a strange state of being and I'm, I don't know how long it will last, but um, it's, pretty, it's pretty much mostly enjoyable. I don't know, what would you say? I think it's pretty much all enjoyable. <laughs> I mean, I keep saying all the time, I can't believe this is my country. 
and it's because I haven't been down to Southland. I've never been to Queenstown before where we landed and you know it's it's I don't know it's really strange and you know I'm, I'm so enjoying it and then when we um, ever talk about our life back in Wellington or like how we're going to get back to Wellington we normally have an argument yes that's true <laughs> so it's like while we're like but while we're down here while we're riding our bikes we're still doing this whole cycle touring thing that's all I want to think about and um, uh, I'm really really enjoying it down here people are bloody brilliant um, the scenery is out of this world we're in, we're in you no, know I never believed I'd ever come here Never thought about coming here. We only sort of, it was kind of a real last minute decision. We kind of thought, well, we're going to Bluff, which is kind of meant to be the southernmost point. And then we're like, well, why don't we just come over here to Rakiyota? It's just, why not? I think another thing that's making it strange is that we're spending a lot of time with tourists. So, um, you know, we've stayed in a backpackers and we've, um, yeah, we're going into the information centres and, there's just been a lot of you know these are t- very touristy parts of New Zealand and so we've been surrounded by a lot of oh, a lot of tourists and not that not so many Kiwis you know we're talking to a lot of French people and German people and Italian people and so yeah. you're kind of like where am I yeah and the thing is we're asking these French and Germans you know oh so what's there you know and they're yeah. like aren't you from here you know like oh we don't really know where Pukaki Lake is or something you know and <laughs> We haven't, you know, and we ask things like, oh, what do you pay for this? Or, you know, um, American guy giving us recommendations for like this really good brand of peanut butter from Nelson, which we hadn't heard about. And he's like, oh, you don't know about this peanut butter? We're like, no. And I was, so we got it tonight at the Foursquare. I think I even had it, it here. It is bloody good. <laughs> cool. It's coming out of the bag. Picks. Picks. And it literally just is nuts and butter. Does and they it? even give you a recipe for how they make their own, how they make this very peanut butter. It's got no additives or anything like that in it. Oh, it's got Australian nuts, but it's fresh roasted and lovingly squashed in Sunny Nelson. Yeah, it's not hot enough here for peanuts. Right, yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's, oh, it's, it's good, it's good stuff. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, one of the, you know, good cool things about arriving back here <laughs> one of the good cool things about arriving back here <laughs> was that um, my mum came down to meet us uh <laughs> she came um no well she was down in queenstown anyway and when we said oh yeah we're flying in at this point she's like oh i think that's the weekend when i'm in queenstown so we're like sweet and so she um uh delayed her trip home for a couple of days and to hang out with us and it was a really nice experience seeing Brenda, you know, straight off the plane.
Yeah, we had such a great time with mum and her husband Ashley, and you know, we, we you know that we went on a couple of great drives. We went over the Crown Range. I'm like, okay, I'm definitely coming back here to cycle. <laughs> we went up to Glenorchy. Well, okay, I can see. I would like to cycle here, but I can understand it might be a little bit out of our way. But um, <laughs> when we head up back towards that way, but um, yeah, just great times, great scenery amazing house that they had rented in Queenstown like this five bedroom like I don't want to say mansion because I don't know if we have mansions here you think of mansions and they're like these sort of Hollywoods things but it's all weatherboard but we have these big houses in New Zealand and it's got a you know, I think New Zealand being back here is a very particular architectural style I'm even just seeing it around here in Rakayuda so yeah well, what is that style I don't know weatherboard it's weatherboard. Yeah. We keep repeating this. We can't believe that we're from here. You know, the, some of the, the landscapes that we've been cycling through. First of all, we left Queenstown and put our bikes onto the TSS Urnsaw to cross Lake Wakitipu. Um, and that was quite a cool experience. You know, it's a 90-year-old steamer. Um, it's all kind of wood and brass and uh, the steam engine is open so that you can see it. We've got the sound of it in behind here. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible lake to cross. Yeah, you know, the old Urnslaw used to carry 1,500 sheep or something, but now it just carries um, busloads of elderly tourists uh, for like a scenic journey around Lake Wakatipu. And it's run by the ultimate in New Zealand, um, like get as much money as you can off the tourist companies called Real Journeys. And uh, yeah, they seem to be like a bit of behemoth here trying to tick your, clip your bus ticket every opportunity. But, uh, you know, in saying that, they do have some quite nice journeys. And the, the Urnslaw was that, and we got dropped off over at, uh, what's it called, Fort Walter? No, Walter's, Walter's Peak. Peak. We, Walter Peak. We got oh, dropped off at Walter's Peak, and then we rode up into the hills towards... Into the back country, they call it. Yeah, the back country towards Mavora Lakes, and we camped in the middle of nowhere and, and woke up with mountains all around us, and... It was, yeah, it was unbelievable, really. It was stunning. And, and we also got to go down to Milford Sound. Um, Pio Pio Tahi. Pio Pio Tahi, as it's also known. Um, and, I mean, it was raining, so that, that's good in a way because it means that a thousand waterfalls are streaming, you know, off the, the, the mountain tops and down like the cliffs. Like arterial veins, these waterfalls just coming down off the cliffs. You, know, you look around, all you see is, like all these little waterfalls and some huge waterfalls just dumping masses of water. I think in Fjordland, they get 12 metres of rain a year. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you look up, 12 metres is quite high, <laughs> filled with water. Yeah, it was beautiful. But um, So we didn't cycle out there. We hitchhiked with uh, our new friend, Bulgarian psychiatrist, Stefan. What did you think of Milford Sound? It was a good place, a little bit wet. <laughs> yes, the, unfortunately we didn't see much. I like it, even wet I like it. And if I have the possibility, I will return someday. Yeah, we kind of made a group decision not to take the boat journey around <laughs> Milford Sound, uh, Pio Pio Tahi, and it was uh, sort of the case was, well, they want to like ping 65 bucks out of us to do it. We're cheap. Uh, the other thing was that it was rainy and misty, and despite some people saying, oh, it's really great in the rain, you see all the waterfalls and 
this kind of annoying Australian guy back at the campsite that night said, oh my God, it's the best thing I've ever seen. Uh, I still think we probably made the right decision. I think I'd much rather come when it's a bit sunnier and you know you can take nice photos. Not that I have a uh, instrument with which to take nice photos, but um, yeah, we thought we'll just save it for another day. Because especially since I heard about that, there's this, there's a cycle race there <laughs> uh, from Milford Sound to Tiano. So I was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll show. We'll definitely be back here because we'll do that cycle race, and it'll be you awesome. You can do it. Well, you can as well, <laughs> and and also walk the Milford Track, which is one of the you know the the great of the great walks they have around here in New Zealand. We we got a ride back with Stefan, so that was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, Stefan said that he was going to bring us back, and um, we couldn't resist. Yeah, I couldn't resist the urge to find out more. Well, he was a psychiatrist working in Germany, and so I found out a lot about uh, the German health system and a uh, number of uh, Russian. Uh, drug addicts they have within the uh, German health system. Very interesting. <laughs> so there's not that many New Zealanders here. There's only a million in the South Island, 4.2 million uh, all up. But um, I think it's 4.2 or is it 4.5? Ah, 2.5. Yeah, well, anyway, not, there's not many of us, but we have had a huge impact on the land. That's the musical sound of the Waiu River. And we're just down by the banks, standing on the limestone that lines it here near the Clifton Suspension Bridge. And where it's sort of bouncing against the limestone, it's making all these little musical notes. Gosh, this bridge is quite impressive as well. We're sitting right underneath it. Yeah, the bridge is like the pride of Clifton. I mean, although, how many people probably live here now? No idea. 10 max in terms of what houses we've seen so far. It's uh, in Western Southland, uh, right down in the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand and underneath the Clifton uh, Suspension Bridge. They've got a Clifton Suspension Bridge in uh, Bristol, don't they? But this is the Clifton, so <laughs> C-L-I-F-D-E-N. It was built when? 1899. Nine. 1899. Um, before it's the that, longest uh, wooden suspension bridge in New Zealand. And before that, they had to use a ferry to get across um, what was then a much more impressive river than the slowly trickling by uh, river we see before us today. Yeah, the river used to drain from uh, the lakes uh, Tiano and Manapuri. And so where we're seated where we're seated right now right on the banks of the river the water would have been gushing past back then but in about in the 1970s it was uh, the time of uh, think big was uh, what no i think it was oh, i'm really crap on my new zealand politics in the <laughs> 70s but uh, it was the age of building uh, power stations hydroelectric power stations and they wanted to build uh, a power station um, using the flows of Tiano and Manapuri. But there was the, we, we were at Manapuri today. It was, it's absolutely stunning, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. And it would have been a great shame if their original plan had gone ahead, which was to raise the level of the lake and Tiano Lake by, I don't know, it looked like around 10 or 15 metres to me, which would have destroyed a lot of the natural beauty. It would have just flooded out a lot of the islands that Manapuri contains. Um, another name for the, the lake is 
Moturo, which means loads of islands in mm. Te Reo Māori. Um, and instead, they opted for a compromise solution that meant the lakes could remain at the same level. Um, but unfortunately, the Waiū River has been a victim of that project. Yeah, so as a result, they had to restrict the flow of water into the Waiō River, which used to be the second largest uh, river in New Zealand. So what what's the measurement they have for rivers? Cubics or something? Yeah. Something like that. Whatever the measure for how much water goes in the river, it used to be um, something like 460. And then after they built the dam, it was uh, went down to six. And now what they do is, um, you know, they realized they were totally lost this river. You know, this river was such a thriving thing. You know, it had um, native long-tailed eels. Um, they also introduced trout, brown trout, rainbow trout, um, and you know, there are other fish species and that. So it was really great for fishes and, you know, come down here, have a swim. But um, they, they really lost the river as a result of the power scheme. So what they did is uh, the, the local groups got together and they uh, organized this thing called the Manapuri Control Scheme. And what that did is that they let down a uh, certain amount of water to keep the river nice and flowing. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's really the lifeblood of this region. And so as a result, it went up from six cubics or whatever the measurement is to um, 14 or, or 16 during the winter, they'll let a bit more out. So, you know, that's allowed it uh, to have more of a trickle, well, you know, a bit more than a trickle. But it's still not great. I mean, you know, the Waio River, uh, the, the name in Māori actually refers to how it was really swirling and, and rough and full on. So, for example, the reason why they had to build this bridge, it was so hard to get across. You know, even in a ferry, you know, you can imagine that the river was quite, tur- the waters were quite turbulent. And then um, the ferry broke down or stopped working and they used a punt to get across the river. And so that, that was a punt attached to a wire. And then, uh, you know, there was a, even a story of one guy who, the first guy who tried to swim across it. And uh, he ended up, you know, despite swimming as hard as he could, he ended up 100 metres further down uh, down the river. You know, that's how, that's how strong the river was. So, you know, when they opened this bridge, they were, the, the residents absolutely loved it. And it was, it was the first crossing of this river. It just made things so much easier. Now, this river also was like a big... Um, uh, um, no trail up to the Greenstone in the west coast for Māori and um, no, so it's got a lot of importance there as well I think even you could swim across this river now Baden yeah but it's really damn cold <laughs> I, I ain't going I'm not going there <laughs> you can hear a little bit of traffic from the bridge that replaced the Clifton suspension bridge in 1978 it opened it's a two lane bridge and it's very unattractive, I must say. I prefer the suspension bridge, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty damn ugly. But, you know, tomorrow we actually get to cross over on the suspension bridge on our bikes. Tonight we're camped on the uh, the north side, and it's a pretty beautiful spot for our camp tonight. The next day we rode into Tuatapere, which is a good honor, small Southland Kiwi town. Um, we stopped at the Bushman's Museum uh, and 
caught up a little bit on, on the town's history. So it was a logging town. There used to be something like more than 20 sawmills um, in that town. So that was what where everyone was employed and that was what the whole um, town was based on. And then I think it was in the 80s the Labour government decided that you couldn't export native timber anymore. Yeah, in 1990 they did oh, a native, ex- native timber export ban mm-hmm. and that kind of ripped the heart out of what was really a small town anyway. Mm. Um, old Tuatapere, or as the locals call it, Tuatapere. Or Tuatap. Tuatap. Um. <laughs> so I think it was something like 140 people lost their jobs in one fell swoop. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we managed to chat to a few interesting locals and someone was telling us, I can't remember who it was, that they um, created a walk, a trail there, mm. and that helped to kind of reinvigorate the, the town and bring tourists to the yeah, town. Yeah, I think it was called the Humpback Ridge or the Hump Ridge. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things really, you know, because when we cycled further south, uh, we saw those signs that were brought in by like the Tuatapere Community Council, whatever it is, or whatever, mm-hmm. community groups. They're really trying hard to keep their town on the map, and uh, it's pretty admirable. And they've got, you know, tourism is one thing that actually keeps the town going. We're cycling out of Tuatapere. It's a small little town right past the Pipe Band Hall. A small little town here in uh, Western Southland. A town that's sort of, uh, let's just say its best days are behind it, but it's still pretty nice, isn't it, Shao? Good, I like it. Yeah, but um, the town is supposedly famous. Oh, look, Shell, here's the sign. Oh. Okay, so uh, Tuatapere, here's, here's the welcome sign. New Zealand's sausage capital. Now, it's this very sausage. What is this? It's the last New Zealand town to see the summer sunset. That's the other famous uh, claim to fame that Tuatapere has. But they call it the sausage capital of New Zealand. Now, I just found out the whole sausage thing is really tearing this town apart. Okay, wait, you were chatting to the guy in the information centre for ages. Don't give away my sources. <laughs> what did he say? Don't give away my sources. It's not only him, I've got other sources as well. But, um, <laughs> and even sources for the sausage. Yeah. But it's actually hard to get hold of these sausages at the moment, I think. Anyway, let me tell you the story of the Tuatapere sausage wrangle that's been going on. So 30 years ago, the local butcher here in Tuatapere, when there was still a local butcher here, he uh, won a nationwide competition for the sausage. And the people here were so proud of this that they um, market it. They call themselves the sausage capital. Yay, you know, one of our Tuatapere guy done good, you know. So this guy was making the sausage rather successfully. People come here and eat the famous sausage. Um, and then he sold the recipe on. Um, you know, because he was getting too old or whatever. And, and then um, some other guy had it. And then he sold it on to another guy who lives in like this little yellow house on the corner in Tuatapere. Now, since then, the whole sausage making thing has waned. And uh, the guy... You know, he doesn't have the resources to keep up with it and all that sort of thing. So he's looking to sell on the recipe. Now what happened is that um, if you want to buy the recipe for the famous Tuatapere sausage, you have to buy his house with it. What? 
Yeah, and the house is just like this little yellow house. It's not particularly pretty or anything like that. Um, and yeah, you you buy you buy the recipe. You you have to buy the house with it. People are like, well, I don't want that crappy house. Just want the sausage. And people in Tuatapiti have obviously been worried that uh, well, you know, the recipe is going to be lost. You know, people are coming here expecting the sausage. They can't buy the sausage here in Tuatapiti. So one of the restaurant owners, or one of the cafe owners in town, he was talking to one of the guys who um, oh, were just passing a big sawmill. This place is, used to be famous for felling uh, trees. We went to the Bushman Museum, a recommended stop here in Tuatapiti. <laughs> but continuing on with the sausage story. Yeah. So one of the restaurant owners... So one of the restaurant owners found out the recipe by talking to one of the former owners of the sausage recipe. What? So he was like, bugger this, I'm just gonna start making the sausage. And a nasty war has broken out. Would have split the town in two. And uh, these people are warring over over the sausage. And the guy was like, well, if you're not gonna make it, yeah. I'm going to. And at the, pro the guy, the restaurant owner, he's in the process of um, uh, getting an equipment and stuff to sort of commercially make the sausage with the stolen recipe so with me having known this information i felt it's kind of appropriate that we sort of hightail it here out of town and uh, let them have their sort of bitter sausage war uh, themselves i i actually really want a sausage now though yeah, well, you're not going to be able to get a tuatapiti sausage. And then even if you do get a tuatapiti sausage, will it be the real thing? And, or will it be an illicit sausage? As I mentioned, we've been chatting to lots of locals. Um, it's been just such a pleasure to come back and speak English again. <laughs> we've yeah. been making friends left, right and centre. After so many months of, of having no Spanish banter and jokes, we're like in our element here, we're from here. So yeah, we've been meeting a lot of people, we've been staying with a few people from warm showers and um, we've been meeting people who are really inspiring us with um, you know, the, the lives that they're leading here in New Zealand because you know, we're heading back to start living here again and so yeah it has been inspiring we've also met some uh, interesting people like Peter from Riverton um, now Peter was sitting outside the supermarket and he works with the Axemen Club which is like a wood chopping competitive wood chopping group um, and he it sounds it's a weird. big sport down here it is actually a big sport and he was selling raffle tickets so you could win a trailer load of firewood if you bought a two dollar raffle ticket outside the supermarket we got chatting away to Peter okay everywhere I go on the wood chopping when I'm on the microphone people say oh you're from Tuatapri that's the sausage capital of New Zealand it's written up into it everyone knows about it even the mad butcher well I tell people the only reason why the Tuatapri sausages are better than the rest we don't put pinus radiata sawdust in our sausages, we put red pine and black pine, if you want to call it remu or matai, but it's got the native sawdust in it, not the normal old pinus radiata. <laughs> On the tourist trail, one of the things that we've been, uh, you know, it's been really enjoyable and 
is finding out all, all this information. They have really great bloody tourist boards boards here, you know, information boards. And, uh, you know, they often give you the boring colonial history and stuff, but they also give you, like, uh, the Māori myths and legends about some of these places. And, um, like, for example, to get here to Rakiura, you have to cross this... Um, really choppy um, strait of water called Fovo Strait but I really much prefer the uh, Māori name for it which is Te Ara Kiwa and so Te Ara is like the path so you can imagine that being the strait and Kiwa was the name of a whale and so in some myths um, the South Island was like a whale am I, am I doing this right? No Take over. Okay. So what was supposed to have happened is a Māori rangatira or leader um, was oh, trying yeah, to yeah, get yeah, yeah. to the South Island, I think from Rakiura, yeah. and he was having trouble bushwhacking through all the jungle and stuff. So he called Kiwa, the whale, ah, yes, to clear the path, to come and bite his way through to, call, to create a water, a path, you know, a strait that he could then go across in his canoe or waka. And get much more easily to to the South Island, um, and so yeah, this is the this is the myth about where where it came from. Mm. And that's Strait. why they reckon that there's so many islands and things around here because when Kiwa was like smashing his tail, that you know broke off little bits of land. Is because there's something like three thousand islands around Rakiura here. Really? Yeah, and and the other cool thing, Rakiura itself um, is it may, well. There are two sort of like names. The name Rakiura, right? So uh, there are two sort of names. Shelley is like going at me. Come on, wrap this up. This is boring. But no, I'm no. going to tell you, listeners. Um, so New Zealand, we've got a North Island, and that's called uh, Te Ika Maui, the fish of Maui. And we've got Te Waipounamu, which is like, uh, well, it just means greenstone. Greenstone uh, waters. Greenstone waters or whatever. So you can find you no know, greenstone or jade um, in the South Island. But Maui was aboard the canoe, which was the South Island, and he fished up the North Island, which was like the fish to Ika Maui. And here in Rakiura or Stewart Island, it was the anchor. So, um, so when you it all makes sense when you sort of see it on the map. And so that's one sort of side to. Uh, the name because some people call I think the word for anchor is like puka mm -hmm. te puka so sometimes your island would be referred to as te puka a Maui the anchor of Maui okay and rakiura is said to mean uh, said to have something to do with um, the uh, glowing night sky yeah, the glowing night sky so the aurora australis so it's like the northern lights you have in Europe, we've got the southern lights down here. And so, like, when Māori were here, they were, like, noticing, whoa, this bright sky. And they called it Rakiura. Oh, that's beautiful, Baden. Another thing we were impressed by was um, a museum that they have in Riverton, which is a very small town. And the museum's called Tehikoi, which means the journey. Or the walk. Or the walk. And it's all about um, the... Uh, intertwining uh, fates of Māori and Pākehā, which is what we call um, people that came from Europe to New Zealand. Um, and yeah, we really enjoyed it. It was good. So they had a, a little video to start off with. A long, long time ago, your grandmother's ancestors discovered New Zealand. They called it Aotearoa. What they found 
was a land inhabited by birds, many of which were unable to fly. And lots of sort of natural bird sounds to create a bit of a vibe. But ultimately, what we learned there was that apparently Māori and Pākehā people, or European people, got on relatively well with little discord because we thought the museum was sort of saying it was tough, the living, living down here was really tough and they needed to work together. Yeah, I, um, you know, I don't want to fully believe this yet because I have read a lot about the Māori land wars, but you know, in reading about that, I don't recall Rakiura being, having you know, been involved in a lot of that much, or, or south, right in the Southland, so, or uh, Murihiku, uh, which is Southland. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, as a result, you know, there are all these traders that were coming here, whalers, sealers, oystermen, um, uh, loggers, and they actually got on with Māori because they needed the Māori advice. Māori needed them with like, the, some of the new technology they bought. So it was one of the areas around the country you know, where apparently there was this harmony. And you sort of definitely see it here in Stewart Island. You know, there's a lot of respect for uh, what Rakiura Māori want to do and yeah, people really respect um, and value what they get out of the sea around here. So it seems as well that down here there was a lot of intermarriage. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, even you know, some of the some of the great stories are to do with that. You know, like for example, there was like uh, this whaler guy, eighteen-year-old, and he was going through the bush, and he met up with this um, Maori chief. And then uh, one of the women, Māori woman, came over and like put his put her cloak over him, and that made him sacred. And so then um, he learnt Māori, and he fully like, you know, integrated into Māori way of life, spoke fluent Māori and stuff like that. And he ended up being like a really key person for uh, intercommunication between you know, Māori and Pākehā. So yeah, pretty cool little stories like that down here, which kind of. You know, should really show the rest of New Zealand how it's done. New Zealand is predominantly a land of birds. We have loads of lovely birds. Um, because there weren't any predators here, lots of them forgot how to fly and walk around on the ground. And so when English people came, they bought stoats and ferrets and rats and Unfortunately, lots of them were killed. But here in Rakiura or Stewart Island, this is a bird watcher's mecca because lots of really um, rare species have been protected. So we visited a predator-free sanctuary, which is not Stewart Island, it's another little island, um, because we wanted to learn more about our, Baden, native flora and fauna. Hi, my name's uh, Matt Jones. I live on Stewart Island and I'm a bird watching guide here on Ulver Island, um, probably one of New Zealand's premier bird watching reserves. And we've had a great day today here. It's busy, Easter, so there's a lot of people around. But uh, even in the afternoon, we found some great birds, probably South Island Saddleback and Yellowhead being our highlights. But we also found more pork sleeping, weka, tui, bellbird, brown creeper, rifleman, kaka, kakarikis, pigeons. I think I've missed a few out probably and probably added a few, I'm not sure. But it's a pretty special place. And... Uh, yeah, the people, the per person holding this nice furry microphone have got really tired legs. They wanted to cycle around because they've cycled around, <laughs> but there's no cycles allowed here, so we had to make them walk. And they don't walk very well now because they've got these massive calves. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they're going to fish and chips at the pub now, so I'm sure they're having a great time here on Stewart Island, and they'll be in touch with you soon. 
<laughs> Love you lots. Cheers. <laughs> The sun has set here in Rakiura um, and it's starting to get cold in fact, isn't it? It's qu- yeah. been quite chilly down here. The breeze is coming in, into the bay and um, it's still beautiful though. Oh, cool. oh, it's gorgeous. The water's all glimmery and reflecting the fairly blue sky still. There's just a few clouds around. The ducks are down here paddling around in the sand. Some of them have snuggled their little beaks under their wings um, for the night. Uh, but things are going to get going at the hotel soon, I imagine. I've seen a few people walking around with their like best shirts on and getting all dressed up and ready for action. <laughs> yeah, it's normally a checked shirt. Yeah, I'm getting. Meanwhile, I'm getting hammered by sandflies here, but I'm kind of liking it because I know that I'm not going to get dengue fever or Zika from them. So yeah, so sandflies are like little tiny midgy things, right? Yeah, just kind of nip away at your legs and yeah. take a bit of blood. But you know, they're welcome to it. Okay, we're leaving tomorrow morning very early and we're hoping that it's not going to be too rough over the strait on the ferry, which can, I hear, be quite a wild ride. I'm hoping for it to be rough because um, <laughs> I thought it was rough coming over here and the guy, the guys on the boat were like, ah, oh, no, this is nothing. It was only like half metre swell or something. I thought it was, felt like about nine metre swell. It was, it was a, like a roller coaster. I've never, we've been on a lot of ferries on this trip, you know, put our bikes on a few boats. And that was, whoa, that was a roller coaster ride. It's I thought it was pretty epic. And we also got to see albatrosses oh, yeah. with like four meter wingspan. Yeah. Pretty amazing. But what's next for us after we get back to Te Waipunamu, the South Island of New Zealand? We're going to the Catlins. And um, I don't know how to say that in Māori. It's something we're going to have to learn. But it's um, the eastern part of the yeah eastern <laughs> the eastern part of the south coast of the south island to Waipounamu and uh, so we're going to sort of whip along there it's pretty rough and ready and hopefully the weather which has kind of been our friend so far I hope he remains good friends with us and we can um will we see a penguin maybe a seal we could be seeing some seals um moa no. um tigers and jaguars and uh, <laughs> and then we're going to start heading back and um, towards Central Otago and particularly the high country mecca that is Shingle Creek. That's our next big target over the next uh, week or so or two, or we'll just see what happens. Well, Baden, I think it's time to head over to the ferry terminal and see if we can see any penguins. Remember, we got that tip. Yeah, we've got to wait for the sun to come down a little bit lower, and then we uh, rock around by the ferry terminal. We're meant to see, yeah, <laughs> those little guys hanging in there somewhere by the oil tanks or something. We were the told diesel tank. Di- yeah, yeah well, we'll go and, we'll we'll go and check it out. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast today. We'd love to know how you are and where you are. You can post a comment under the blog on our website howareyouwhereareyou.com where you'll find some photos of our New Zealand experiences so far that match up with the podcast Mm -hmm. and some links so you can subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes Um, thank you very much to Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast Callum performs under the name Runtime and you can find his page on SoundCloud Um, you can find Baden at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram though haven't really been doing that much on social media yeah, there's not great Wi-Fi around here. And also, we've been too lazy to get a mobile phone. So, yeah, we could, I guess, be on the mobile network. But uh, we've <laughs> I don't think we've even been to a big enough place where they sell phone cards. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We're not going to any big cities anytime soon. So, maybe we're just taking a little break. Thank you so much. And we'll catch you in, I don't know, a week or so. Ciao. Hi, there.